0: Well, good morning, Watermark. How are we doing today? Hey, it's, uh, it's so good to see you. If this is uh, your first time to Watermark, let me just introduce myself. Uh, my name is Timothy Atik. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm so glad uh, that we get to spend some time together today. If you are just checking Watermark out, this is a great time for you to be exploring what this place is all about because we are in a series where we are unpacking the vision and values of the church. So if you want to know what we are about, we exist to be transformed by Christ to love like Christ. Like the hope here is that any person that would call this place home would experience the transforming love and power of Jesus Christ. And because of that, people in your life would taste the love of Jesus simply by being in relationship with you. And so last week, John did an incredible job of just unpacking for us what it means to be transformed by Christ. And today, we're going to talk about loving like Christ. Now, there's a lot of different ways that we could go talking about loving like Christ. What I want to do today is I want to talk about loving unbelievers like Christ. Specifically, I want to talk about sharing our faith. And so uh, here's what that means. It just means that if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, it, it might feel a little weird from you, for you because it might feel like you're stepping into a sort of a, a family meeting. But what I hope you hear is what you can expect from those in your life who consider themselves followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, what I ultimately hope you understand is that Jesus Christ truly is worth it. But for those who call this place home, the hope is that we would leave this place and we would go out into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces and we would faithfully share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who do not know Jesus. We have been transformed by Christ and the hope is that we would love like Christ. Specifically, we would love unbelievers like Christ. Now, when it comes to sharing faith, uh, me personally, like I've had really good experiences with sharing my faith and not so great experiences with sharing my faith. Like I think about a time where everything went exactly as it should go. I was working at the Starbucks on Northwest Highway in Preston. It's a fairly large Starbucks. And I went in and I sat at a six-top and it was, it was empty. There was no one else at that six-top and the Starbucks was fairly empty. Like there were multiple tables where no one was seated. And so I sat down at this end of the table and this woman came in And sat down at the six top. But she didn't sit at the other end of it. She sat directly across from me. So when it comes to invading people's personal space, she most certainly did that. (laughs) But like it was an out-of-body experience because when I got taught in seminary how to share my faith, it played out exactly like I was taught. So she sat down, we started talking, the conversation turned spiritual. I was like, has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can go, how you can know you'll go to heaven when you die? And she was like, no. And I was like, can I? She was like, sure. I was like, this is incredible. This is exactly, if this is what sharing your faith is like and what it's about, count me in. I can do this all the time. But then there was another experience that didn't go nearly as well. I had been listening to this uh, this pastor's podcast, and I remember on one sermon he talked about being at a coffee shop, and he saw a guy, and he just felt like he was supposed to go up to that guy and tell him that Jesus Christ loved him and wanted a relationship with him. And so I started thinking, that's what I need to do. I need to just start interrupting people's worlds and telling them, hey, Jesus Christ loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And so I remember one time we were in Austin, Kat and I, we were eating at Potbelly. And like, I just put a bullseye on this guy that worked at Potbelly. I was like, I guess this is the guy that's about to find out. Jesus loves him and wants a relationship with him. But I think his shifted, ended. And so he left the restaurant. So I followed him out into the parking lot. And when I say it, it sounds creepy because it kind of was like I... I tracked this guy out to his car and he had already gotten into his car. He is seated in his car and I'm like, hey, to the point where he's like, like sticking head out of the window and I was like, hey, I just, I just wanted you to know Jesus Christ loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. And I don't know where the communication breakdown happened. <laughs> like, I don't know what actually came out of my mouth, but this is a true story. All that happened, this was his response. After I said, Jesus Christ loves you and wants to have a relationship with you, he goes, Chipotle? <laughs> no, not Chipotle. Chipotle. Um, Jesus Christ loves you, and uh, like I just fell apart. It was like, hey, man, have a good day. Enjoy Chipotle. So here's the thing. In my experience, when it goes well, there's joy, and there's excitement, and you want to do it more. And when it doesn't go well, there's insecurity, and there can be this feeling of obligation when it comes to sharing your faith. And then there's been other times in my life where I've sensed that God wants me to engage with someone, and I just don't. And there's been shame that I've in some way let God down. I don't know if you can identify with any of that. I would imagine that there are many people here who share their faith on a regular basis. And so you're just tapping into that joy of sharing your faith, which is awesome. If that's you, my encouragement to you is just keep doing what you're doing. But then I bet that there is a lot of people here who know the feeling of obligation and the feeling of shame that you should be sharing your faith, but you're not. And so my hope today is that it would just be an encouragement to all of us to simply take a step. We've been transformed by Christ. We want to love like Christ. And here's my hope. My hope is that each person in here who calls this place home and considers themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, my hope is that you would begin to tap into the joy that can come from loving unbelievers like Christ. The way that I'm going to encourage us this morning is from John chapter four. We're going to look at a story in the gospel of John, John chapter four, where Jesus engages with an unbelieving woman. And so we're going to look at how Jesus loved an unbeliever. And then we're going to draw five conclusions or we're going to identify five keys to tapping into the joy that can come from loving unbelievers like Christ. As you turn there, I just want I I want you to believe that That God wants to do something through you. Like he wants to use you. You can share your faith and he can equip you and empower you. He wants to invite you in to be a part of his mission. You never know what he's doing. You never know how his spirit is working. You don't know what he wants to do in someone else's life. And you have no clue how he wants to use you in their life. And so today is all about us just being equipped and empowered to go out and tap into the joy, not the obligation, not the shame, but the joy of loving unbelievers like Christ. The first key to tapping into the joy of loving unbelievers like Christ is this, cultivate your yes to God's will. Cultivate your yes to God's will. Look with me in verse 3. It says, he, that's referring to Jesus. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So from this section, the phrase that I want to clue in on is verse four, where it says he had to pass through Samaria. A good way to help you understand this is simply to show you a map of Palestine during the time of Christ. And so in the bottom, the blue section is Judea. That's where places like Jerusalem, that's where Jerusalem is. The Galilee uh, is kind of the salmon color. That's where Nazareth is. That's where the Sea of Galilee is. Jesus is traveling from the blue to the salmon. He's going from Judea to Galilee And the text says that he has to pass through Samaria, which is the purple part. A good way of thinking about it is like if you're traveling from Austin to Dallas and you say that you have to travel through Waco, okay? You get on I-35 and you travel north to, to Dallas. Now, here's what you need to understand. Going through Samaria was the quickest way, but it wasn't the only way. Because when you look at the map, the route that Jesus takes is the red route, which goes straight up through Samaria. But if you look at the green line, there was actually a way around it. So if you've been traveling through Waco sometime in the last three years, you know the traffic that is there due to construction. You don't have to go through Waco. You can hop on 340, which will take you around Waco, there's actually another way to go from Judea to Galilee where you bypass Samaria. Going through Samaria might have been the quickest way, but for many Jews, it was not the preferred way to get to Galilee. The reason it wasn't the preferred way is because many Jews hated Samaritans. Like, it's good for you to know the background on Samaritans. Maybe you've heard of the parable of the good Samaritan, but you don't really know anything about Samaritans. So you need to understand that 750 years prior to this encounter with the Samaritan woman, in 722 BC, Assyria showed up in Israel and deported the majority of Jews living in Israel and then assyria imported five different nations of captives into the area that is now that we know as samaria and those five different nations intermarried with the jews that remained in the land their offspring became known as samaritans and samaritans created basically a hijacked version of judaism they They hijacked Judaism and kind of created their own religion. So they took a lot of the teachings of Judaism and then adapted them to their own ideas. They even took the temple of Judaism, which was the place where the presence of God resided, and they ignored it and they created their own temple for worship. So Jews looked at Samaritans and despised them. Some Jews even prayed that the Samaritans would not be a part of the resurrection And so there were many Jews that took the route around Samaria simply because they didn't want to have to engage with them. So it's interesting that the text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. What we need to conclude is that that's not talking, what that's not saying is that the only way to get from Judea to Galilee was through Samaria. What it's actually talking about is Jesus responding to the will of God. He had to go through Samaria because he was saying yes to God's will for him and for this woman. Jesus had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman by a well at about noon. There's another verse that I think is really important in this moment. It comes later in John chapter 4, but I want to go ahead and read it now. Because when Jesus sits down by this well, his disciples go into town to get some food and when they come back, they want Jesus to eat but Jesus won't eat their food. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 34. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, you wanna know what nourishes me? Do you want to know what satisfies my soul most? It is to say yes to God's will and to accomplish all of his work. And he's talking about, he's referencing coming through Samaria to meet this woman. That's what was nourishing them. That's what was satisfying to him. So that's where we have to start. If you want to tap into the joy of loving unbelievers like Christ, it starts with cultivating your yes to God's will. The reason I use the word cultivate is simply because it's a process. Like it takes work. There's going to be times where you resist God's will when it comes to sharing your faith. So we're all going to have to take a step. We're all going to have to grow. It's something that you cultivate, but you want to cultivate your yes to God's will. The goal is that the people of Watermark would be a people who are nourished and satisfied by accomplishing the will of God. That Jesus isn't just a part of your life, but he is the point and passion of your life. And the most satisfying thing is to do what Christ calls you to do. So what does that practically look like? It looks like you and me waking up each morning, hitting our knees and praying a prayer of surrender. Us sitting before the Lord and just saying, Lord God, I will, I will go where you want me to go. I will do what you want me to do. I will engage with whom you want me to engage. I will say what you want me to say. You provide the opportunities. You give me the courage. You make me bold. You give me the words to say, but I will do what you want me to do. God, use me. Use me. And you know what the great news is? The great news is that simple obedience is what leads to eternally significant moments. Do you hear that? Simple obedience is what leads to eternally significant moments. Just imagine what would happen if all of the followers of Jesus that are in this room right now, if you began to pray with open hands tomorrow morning, I will do what you want me to do. I'll talk to who you want me to talk. I'll say what you want me to say. This place would be buzzing with God's stories over the next seven days. And so let me just ask you, does it feel like everyone but you has God's stories to share? Has it been a while since you've seen God do something significant in someone else's life? If so, I just have to ask, are you taking steps of obedience and sharing your faith? If, if you're not, that's why you're missing out. Now, you're, you might sit there and hear that and be like, and that's what causes me shame. So let me just be clear. My goal is not to cause shame. Hey, this message is for me as well. The goal of this message is just to help all of us take a step. And so if you want God's stories of your own, if you want to see God do some eternally significant things, that's the goal of this talk. So here's the second key to tapping into the joy that can come from loving unbelievers like Christ. Break through social barriers, okay? Break through social barriers. What do we learn about this woman? We learn that she's drawing water from from Jacob's well. If you do some research, you know what you're going to find out? There was probably a water source that was closer to where she lived than Jacob's well. We also find out that she's drawing water at the sixth hour, which is noon. People drew water at sunset to avoid the heat of the day. So just think about that. Here's a woman drawing water at a well that's further away than she needs to travel and she's drawing water at a time which is not optimal. Why? She's trying to avoid the rest of the community because she is a woman with a bad reputation. So combine that truth with what verse 9 tells us. When Jesus talks to her, John tells us Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So just put it all together. Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman. He talks to people that most Jews despise. But he doesn't just talk to any Samaritan He talks to a woman that most Samaritans don't want to talk to. So Jesus is breaking through social barriers. You want to tap into the joy of loving unbelievers like Christ? Then you need to beg God for the courage and boldness to break through social barriers. Let me ask a question that might be convicting, but we need it. And we need to wrestle with it if we're going to tap into joy. Here it is. Don't miss it. Is there anyone in your life whose beliefs, convictions, and lifestyle are so vastly different than yours that you have no dealings with them? Just think, is there any individuals that come to mind from your work or your neighborhood? Are there any groups of people in general that their beliefs, convictions, or lifestyle are so vastly different than yours And honestly, they're so nauseating to you that you have no interactions with them. Like I think about what verse 9 says. It says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Just insert your name into that phrase. Timothy Atik has no dealings with who? Does anyone come to mind? If someone comes to mind or a certain group of people comes to mind, then ask yourself this question. Does Jesus love that person? If the answer is yes, then why won't you? Because here's the thing, if, if you won't engage with them, then there's a good chance that other Christians won't engage with them, but if you won't reach them and other Christians won't reach them, then who is reaching them? What if God wants to work through you by giving you everything you need to break through those social barriers? When we were living in Waco, I remember my, my wife befriended her hairdresser and her hairdresser and that hairdresser's husband, they were leaders in the pagan society in Waco. And so my wife just broke through a social barrier and she began to befriend this woman from the pagan society to the point where this woman would trust us with her With her child, my my wife would babysit her kid from time to time. And then this couple from the Pagan Society wanted to have a birthday party for their son, but their apartment was too small. And so we hosted this kid's birthday party at our home. Well, who were the friends that came to celebrate this kid's birthday? It's all their friends from the Pagan Society are showing up to our house, wearing symbols on jewelry which stand completely against everything that I believe. These are people who either worship other gods or have some association with Satan in some way. And yet they were in our house. We were breaking through a social barrier. And I look at my wife's example. And when I look at my wife's example of breaking through that social barrier, here's what it reminds me. It reminds me that we have to be a people who look past external sin to the internal need. We can't just see people for who they are now. We have to see people for who they could be if Jesus Christ captivated their hearts. Just imagine, have you ever done that where you just envision someone who is far from Christ one day sharing their testimony? Like imagine, I I just think of this woman from the pagan society one day standing in a church testifying of how Jesus Christ met her and brought her to himself. But it's going to require us breaking through social barriers. Now watch how the story continues. Verse 9. It says, A Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So do you see what Jesus does? He he starts a conversation with this woman and then turns it spiritual. Starts a conversation about physical water and then he transitions to talking about living water and she doesn't get it. She's like, man, if you've got some water that's gonna make me not thirsty, so I'm not having to just do these trips. Like, please. But he starts a conversation, and turns it spiritual. That's, that's, that's the third way that we can tap into the joy of loving unbelievers like Christ. Start a conversation, and turn it spiritual. Now, I think I need to add a caveat to this point for a particular group of people in this room and you will know who you are when I say it. So I'm just going to add a little bit more to this point. It's going to become a very long point so if you're not taking notes you're going to have a hard time remembering this point but here it is. Okay, Start a conversation and turn it spiritual dot 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 that's three important dots but be intentional without being aggressive that's a huge caveat. You know who you are Be intentional without being aggressive. So let me just break this point down for you. Start a conversation. When I say start a conversation, I'm not even talking right now about starting a spiritual conversation. I'm just talking about starting a conversation with people that you don't normally talk to because you either don't know them or just haven't taken the time to have meaningful interaction with them. So when you go to lunch today, look your waiter or waitress in the eyes Ask them their name, where they're from, and how long they've worked at the restaurant. When you're outside in your neighborhood and you see that neighbor that you normally just wave at and then turn and go inside, surprise them. Start walking towards them. They'll get, they're like, oh my gosh, what's happening now? But start, just walk towards them. And just ask how their year is starting off. Like when you go to work tomorrow, And you're in the elevator with that person that you've never bothered to learn their name and now you're just too far in. It's like, man, we should know this by now. Hey, just be honest. Be like, hey, I'm so sorry. Remind me your name again. Or like when you pass by someone's desk who you normally just say hi to, like stop and be like, hey, how was your weekend? It'll catch them off guard. But like, I'm just talking about starting a conversation. Start a conversation and then look for opportunities to turn it Spiritual. Now, this is where we freak out and get weird. Because we're like, oh, I, ha- I-, I can start a conversation, but I don't want to jeopardize the relationship by turning it spiritual. Well, just don't be weird about it. <laughs> like, you can do this, people. Like, here's what I'm going to do right now. I am going to tell you exactly what to say. I'm going to give you all the vocabulary. I'm going to give you the line. You can write it on your hand, and you can be like, hey, how was your weekend? So, uh, Jesus, like, uh, I'm just, I'm going to give it to you right now. And, and, uh, it's a lot smoother than Jesus Christ loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. Chipotle, like it's going to be better than that. Okay. So let me just give you some examples of how to turn the conversation spiritual. We're going to put them on the screen. I encourage you to write these down, take a screenshot of them and use them. So when you go to lunch. You can't take a screenshot. Wait, can you? I'd, anyway, take a picture of them. I don't know. I just got flustered. Okay. <laughs> when you go to lunch and you're talking to the waiter or waitress, they bring out your food. I, I've used this several times and it's always gone well. Just simply say this. Hey, we're followers of Jesus and we're about to pray for our food. Is there anything we can pray for you for? And I know you grammarians are freaking out that I ended the sentence in four. It's Okay. That has always gone well for me. And they will share more with you that you can build on in the conversation. When you go to work tomorrow and people ask you what you did this weekend, tell them. Here's what I did on Saturday, Sunday. Hey, we went to church yesterday and it was meaningful. Hey, do you go to church anywhere? You're in the conversation. You just turned it spiritual. That's it. Yeah, I went, to, I went to church yesterday. Do you go to church anywhere? And you can follow it up. Just say, hey, we've never talked about this, but is face something that's important to you? You're in the conversation. That's it. This is a question that a friend gave me a long time ago, and it has been helpful in so many different situations. I've asked this question to the guy working the counter at a gas station or with Uber drivers or walking up to a guy on the beach, like this fits in any situation. Just say this Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe in prayer. Is there anything you or your family needs that I can ask God to help you with? That's it. And people are usually very grateful that you would even ask. If you know that someone's going through a really tough time, ask them this Hey, where do you usually look for help or hope when life is tough or stressful? I know for me, when life is tough, I don't know what I would do without my faith in Jesus. Do you have a faith? That's it. You're in the conversation. Or what about this one? Just try it out. Like if, if you've been in relationship with someone for a long time and you feel like, man, it'd just be too weird for me to bring it up at this point. It's been too long. Just say this. Hey, we haven't talked about this before. If you're at lunch with a coworker, hey, we've never talked about this before, but my faith has become increasingly important to me. Do you have a faith? That's it. You're in the conversation. People love to talk about themselves. The more you ask, the more you'll learn, and the more opportunity you'll have to turn the conversation spiritual. But remember the caveat. Be intentional without being aggressive. That's what Jesus did. Look at verse 16. She didn't get that he was talking about living water, not physical water. So Jesus comes at her a different direction. He says, hey, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered her, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. I love her response. She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> but do you see what he does? He, he just comes at her another angle, but he's not aggressive. The way Jesus talks to her, all he does is state reality back to her. You're right when you say you don't have a husband because you've had four and the one you're with isn't your husband. He's being truthful without being judgmental. Chris Sherrod says there's compassion without compromise. And we know that she doesn't feel judged because she sticks around and talks to him. She continues to engage with him. Some people equate aggressiveness with godliness, if you're one of those people that sharing your faith looks like bullying people and proving to them how you are right and they're wrong, don't be surprised when they just shut down. No one ever gets shamed, scared, or bullied into heaven. Heaven will not be filled with people scared of going to hell. Heaven will be filled with people who fell in love with Jesus. Jesus. And so I am begging you, like if, if, if your personality tends to be aggressive or abrasive, like beg God to awaken that tact gene that has been dormant for decades. <laughs> like use tact. I'll just give you an example. I've been in conversation with someone before about spiritual things where they've looked at me and been like, sir, you tell me I'm going to hell? That's a loaded question. So you, do you believe I'm going to hell? Here's how I would answer that, okay? Here's what I would say. I would say, okay, well, let me explain it this way. <clears throat> if the Bible is true, then heaven is all about Jesus, okay? One of the things that makes heaven heaven is being with Jesus. If you don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, I assure you, you will not enjoy heaven. How unloving would it be for Jesus to force himself on you for all of eternity? He loves you too much to do that. So let me encourage you to think about it this way. If there is a God and he's perfect, and heaven is perfect, and you and I are imperfect, how do we reconcile imperfect people living in a perfect place with a perfect God? Wouldn't our imperfection in that perfect place, make it imperfect, it, you, you can't reconcile it, no matter how hard you try. The beauty of God's love for us is that he sent his son Jesus, who was and is perfect, who lived a perfect life, who was punished on the cross for all of our imperfections, and he rose from the dead as a demonstration that he has defeated our imperfections. And when we put our faith in him, you know what happens? All of his perfection is credited to our account, making a way for us imperfect people to spend eternity with a perfect God in a perfect place. That's how much he loves us. The question is, will you allow yourself to be loved by God or not? Do you see it? There's tact. There's intentionality. You're intentional but not aggressive. Number four, if you want to tap into the joy of loving unbelievers like Christ, then communicate the sufficiency of God's grace for them. Okay, communicate the sufficiency of God's grace for them. Look at what happens in in verse 21. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. who speak to you am He? There's a lot that we could explain in this passage right here. All I want you to see is that this is the first time in the Gospels where Jesus self-identifies as the Messiah. He actually only does it twice, once here, and once when he's on trial. John the Baptist asked him, "Are you the Christ?" And Jesus didn't even answer him. But to this Samaritan woman, he self-identifies as the Messiah. So here's why that is so important. Okay, This woman has had four husbands and the one she's with isn't her husband. What you need to know is rabbis regarded to her at the, at the most three marriages as the maximum for a woman. And women could not divorce their husbands in Jewish law. So if they wanted a divorce, they would either have to approach the court and try and compel the husband to divorce her, or the woman could pay the husband to divorce her. So this woman has probably most likely spent years in turmoil, moving from man to man, marriage to marriage, appearing in court after court, making deals with husband after husband to divorce her to the point where she is way beyond what is considered socially acceptable. So now she lives a life of shame and loneliness, avoiding contact with the rest of society, and yet Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has to go through Samaria. Why? To dignify this woman and to show her that the Messiah can even receive her. Isn't that beautiful? This is just an overwhelmingly beautiful display of the grace of God. What is grace? It is unearned, undeserved favor. And we as followers of Jesus Christ have the privilege and the joy of telling people that they have not out-sinned the grace of God. My hope is God gives us opportunities to engage with people who will respond to the gospel and say, yeah, but I've lied, but I've cheated, but I've abandoned my spouse and my, my kids. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I've lived a homosexual lifestyle. I've had an abortion. I've taken someone's life. And we have the opportunity to say, yes, and the size of your sin reveals the size of our God, because not even you, not even me, has out-sinned the grace of God. That is how good he is. This is our privilege. This is our joy. And so if you want to tap into the joy of loving unbelievers like Christ, then communicate the sufficiency of God's grace for them. And then finally, live today and every day with urgency and expectancy live today and every day with urgency and expectancy. Look at verse 28. Look at what happens. It says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is beautiful because it's symbolic. What does she do? She leaves her physical water. That's what she came for. That's what she needed most in this moment. But she leaves it because that's not what she needed most. She leaves and goes back to town with what? Living water. She's been transformed by Christ. And now she goes and loves like Christ. She goes to the unbelievers in her town. And she shares Christ with them. And what happens is the town starts coming out to see Jesus. If you were to read the end of the story, you would see that revival begins to take place in Sychar. But what I want to point out to you is what Jesus says to his disciples when this woman has gone back into town. Jesus has a really honest conversation with his friends, which I think is so important for us in this moment. Verse 34, which I've already read to you. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Don't miss this. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to his friends, which we now hear today at Watermark Community Church? He's saying today is the day of, of salvation. God is working now. The Spirit of God is moving in transforming now. If statistics are true, tens of thousands of people will put their trust in Christ today. Do you want to be a part of it or not? Do you believe that God wants to use you? He can use you To share the gospel with someone who will put their trust in Christ. Live with urgency and expectancy. I just want you to think about this. What if, just what if, the Spirit of God has been working so powerfully in the lives of 20 people at your work that if someone were to just share the gospel with them tomorrow, they'd put their trust in Jesus immediately because the Spirit of God has already been working, illuminating their minds, convicting their hearts, and regenerating their spirits. Live with urgency and expectancy. Back at the end of November when Black Friday hit, I took advantage of the sales to uh, buy a new TV. We had had the same flat screen for 16 years. I was like, it's time. And so I bought a new TV and uh, I called a company that mounts TVs on the walls, and they sent this really nice guy out. Uh, I didn't turn the TV on before we mounted it. We took it out of the box, and this guy did, did a perfect job of mounting it on the wall. And while he is in my house and we're putting this TV up, like, the conversation turns spiritual. And we begin to talk about Jesus. And I share the gospel with him. I, I share that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death. And yet God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and that it's by grace we are saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one may boast. I shared all of that with him and it was new news to him. You could just see that he was, he was, he was hearing something that he hadn't heard before It was such an enjoyable conversation. really enjoyed getting to meet him and get to know him. And he left my my house that evening. Well, um, last Sunday morning, Saturday night, we had been watching a show. Well, what I didn't tell you is that that TV um, turned it on, wasn't pleased with the quality. So I took it off the wall, took it back to the store, got a new TV, higher quality, brought it back, put it on the wall. Last Saturday night, we're watching... A movie, working perfectly, Sunday morning, grab the remote, push the power button, TV won't turn on. Come home from church, take the TV off, trying different outlets, trying everything, won't work. Just straight up stopped working. I package it back up. Guys, I'm about to lose my ever-loving mind. I'm just telling you, like it reached the point where my wife, Kat, is like, maybe you should just take a break and go and do something else for a little bit. Like it's that type of... Packages the TV back up. I take it back. If you're keeping count now, got my third TV in a month and a half, came back, and I called this guy who had helped me before. He comes back. He puts the TV on the wall, and the conversation turned spiritual again, and we have another conversation about Jesus, and I'm sharing with him that there is nothing more important than Jesus, and and if you're here today, and I hope you are, I I still believe in what I said, that there is nothing more important than Jesus. And my hope is that you would put your trust in Jesus today. But as we talked, I I felt like I could see in his eyes the Spirit of God beginning to awaken his mind and his heart to reality. And then I prayed for him, and, and he left. And when he left, here's what Kat said to me. She said, that's why our TV broke. That's why it broke. So that he would come here and you would share that with him. And you know what I felt in that moment? Joy. I felt nourished. I, I felt what Jesus talked about. I felt nourished doing the will of God. And so here's my commitment. I want more of that joy in 2023. And I want more of it for you as well. Let's tap into the joy that comes from loving unbelievers like Christ. We've been transformed by Christ to love like Christ. So here's how I want us to end our time today. I want us to end our time by simply praying. Praying for the Spirit of God to move and praying for God to use us. So I'm going to ask you to do something that might be uncomfortable, but I want to invite you to get on your knees. And for all the followers of Jesus in this place, for us to get on our knees and for us to beg God to move in and through us. And if that makes you feel uncomfortable, you can, we're going to turn the lights off. You can just sit right where you are. But I'm going to put two prayer prompts on the screen. And they just give you the wording. They give you the verbiage to pray to God. The first one is just, God, may your spirit move miraculously in the lives of and, and that's just an opportunity for you to pray for people by name. Think of all the people in your work, your home, your neighborhood. Ask the Spirit of God to move miraculously in the lives of the unbelievers that you know. And then the second one, you can read it. But it's that prayer of surrender that I mentioned earlier in my talk. So may this just be a moment where we, the people of Watermark, the people of God, sit and surrender to the Lord. Asking God to do a great work in the lives of those who don't know Him and to do that work in us and through us. So take a minute. This time is yours. Pray, and then I'll close this. jesus we do pray that we could see you do a miraculous work in the lives of our unbelieving family and friends this week lord i pray today lord today may it be the day of salvation for many of the people that we know and we've been praying for lord hear our prayers for all of the names of people that were just prayed for in this room and god i pray that your people those who consider themselves followers of Jesus Christ. I pray for myself, Lord. Lord, may we go where you want us to go. May we do what you want us to do. May we engage with those you want us to engage with. May we say what you want us to say. Would you provide the opportunities? Would you provide the courage? Would you provide the boldness, God? Would you provide the words? Would you have your way in us and through us? God, use us for your glory. And may we experience the joy as soon as today and tomorrow. May we experience the joy that comes when we love unbelievers like Christ. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.